Well, it's great to be here with you all this afternoon. Um, it's such a joy and such a privilege to come in and to be with you guys. Coming back to Cardiff is a bit like coming home in a lot of ways. Um, you know, as I was driving up, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of people I know here at this church. There's quite a few that, that I've met, and it looks like there's a, a good handful of you that I don't know. So, um, good afternoon. Great to be here and great to meet you. Um, my name's Daniel Arnold. Um, I'm the pastor at Calvary Chapel, Bristol, and uh, which isn't too far away. And um, many of you who do know me know that we came to Bristol in 2015. I've lived over here for 14 years, going on 15 years now. And um, me and my wife moved to Bristol in 2015. Um, and when we first moved to Bristol and took over the church there, uh, we used to come up uh, to Cardiff to fellowship with everyone uh, for those first three or four months. Um, we had an evening service, and so we came to the morning service. And so in many ways, it's kind of like home. And it, it feels good to come back and to see, see faces and friends. And, and again, it's the family of God. You know, it's so good to be together. And it's a joy for me to be able to be here and to fellowship and to minister the word of, to you all this morning. Um, <clears throat> with that, if you go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to look at at this man, Daniel. Daniel's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, as I'm sure he's many of yours. Um, and that's not just because he's my namesake. Although, you know, that was definitely the draw when I was younger. Um, but his life and his testimony is, is just unparalleled. He's so unique. Such a neat man of God. So Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> Now, if you're familiar with his story, then I'm sure you found that there's just something special about Daniel. He has such an amazing testimony, and his character is so attractive. You can't help but want to emulate him, to be like him, and to follow the examples of godliness which he demonstrates. He is such a shining example of living a victorious Christian life. And that's something to be said, you know. We're all living this life trying to live rightly, trying to live, you know, victoriously, trying to live the way that God wants us to live. And, and you know, anything that can uh, speak into my life to help me to live that way, I'm like, bring it on. I want to know. Give me the secrets to living right before God and to maintaining that life. And Daniel's such a shining example of living a victorious Christian life because he lived a life a victorious life that lasted for 70 plus years. Anybody 70 plus? No, that's a long time. Oh, there's a couple, praise the Lord. <laughs> Living the Christian life and maintaining that testimony is absolutely amazing and fantastic. And Daniel did that, and he did it successfully. He lived a, a victorious life that lasted for 70 plus years, a victorious life that was lived in the midst of a place that was not his home, full of idolatry, full of paganism. And you know what? As we look around the world today, you know, that's not much different from the life and the society and the circumstances in which Daniel lived. You know, and it's a reminder that this world is not our home. We're merely passing through. 
You know, we're to be those sojourners and pilgrims in this world. And that means not having those attachments, not putting down those roots that society tells us that we should be doing. Because this isn't our home. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And Daniel understood that. Daniel had that clear view of eternity in mind as he lived his life for the Lord. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies that they may be conformed to his glorious body. And you know, that's the hope that we have, that he is coming back. And, you know, blessed are those who are waiting and expecting his return. And that day that he will change us and we will get to throw off this flesh that just so corrupts, so corruptible. And that we can be, you know, glorified with him, not having to worry about, you know, that sin and those temptations in our lives. I had a good friend in London who I lived with named Ayo. He was a big black Nigerian guy. He was like six foot five. He was, he was massive. And, you know, he, he used to, to listen to rap music, Christian rap music quite a bit. And he always sang this song, this, this line um, when we were around. It's a song by Da Truth uh, called The Resurrection. And it goes, I'm homesick. This body is a tent. Heaven's where home is. I guess it's safe to say that God's people are homeless. And you know, that's the perspective. You know, we are to, this life, we're homeless here. We, are, we aren't to, to put and to have those attachments in this world or to have that, that heavenly mindset. And Daniel had that. And that's one of the key secrets to his success in living a victorious life. Now, this time period in which we come to Daniel chapter 1, they take place in 605 BC. Again, the Bible is not a story. This is history. This is a history book, not a story book. And, you know, these things are rooted and grounded in time and in reality. And so this happens in 605 BC, and it correlates with 2 Kings chapter 24 and 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And so you can write those in, in your Bible here um, at, the, at the top of your margin if you want. 2 Kings 24 and 2 Chronicles 36. That's what's going on during this time frame. Nebuchadnezzar had just inherited the throne um, in Babylon, uh, becoming co-regent with his father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, who had thrown off the rule of the Assyrians by conquering Nineveh in 625 BC. Uh, one year later, uh, uh, Nabopolassar uh, dies in 604, and Nebuchadnezzar then becomes the sole ruler of Babylon. Now, Babylon at this time was, was the greatest city, the greatest nation on earth at this time. And it began really the rule and reign of the Gentile nations, or the time of the Gentiles, which is key in, in our um, eschatology, our, our events of the end times, as they relate to, to the church and to Israel. Uh, and, you know, this time of the Gentiles has continued on since that time, even to present day. We're living in the times of the Gentiles, in which the Gentiles rule and reign over the earth. And then it was around this time period that the construction of the Acropolis in Athens began. It's during this time that Aesop wrote his fables, um, Greek art at this time really began to excel and permeate the earth, our civilization. Uh, the Mayan civilization began to flourish in Mexico during this time in 605 BC. Uh, and during this 
era Confucius and Buddha lived. So that puts a time frame of where this takes place in history, and that's good to remember that this is grounded in history. Um, you know, this is, this is truth when we come to the Bible, and the things that are revealed to us are truth about spiritual things, that it's so important that we, we understand the, the reality of these things. In verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the things that you desire to teach us and make known to us this afternoon, Lord, this day, as we give our hearts and our ears to hear your voice and your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would teach us the things that we need to know about yourself and of how to live rightly in this world, Lord, as your followers, as your disciples, as your people. And so, Lord, we thank you now. We pray that you would just fill us with your spirit, that we might hear and understand the things that you desire to speak. Amen. So having conquered Jerusalem, we read in verse 3 that Nebuchadnezzar instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles back to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had some specific instructions regarding these captives. They were to be young men in whom there was no blemish. They were to be good-looking guys. They were to be gifted in all wisdom possessing knowledge and who were quick to understand. They were to be intelligent, quick thinkers. Not only be good looking, but good mentally. They were to have the ability to serve in the king's palace before the king. So they had to know, you know, royal protocol. That's why he asked that they be of the nobles and of the line of the king. And they were to be ones whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And so being brought to Babylon, we read in verse 5 that the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. And that is the reason for for taking these good-looking, intelligent, and wise young men back to Babylon, that they might serve in the courts of the king to be his advisors and to advise him on the ways of the world. Please note that these three years of training 
was not merely just to educate them in the customs and traditions of Babylon or the Chaldeans, but really to recondition them to be Babylonian, right? That's what's taking place here is they're, they're being reconditioned into society, into a new society. You know, the old being wiped away and, and washed away and this new life being made for them as they were really reconditioned and reintegrated into a different culture, a different society, serving different gods and different masters. They were removed. They were re-educated. They were reconditioned. And they were even renamed in order to separate them from their Jewish identities and to reintegrate them as loyal subjects of Babylon. And you know what? That's what the world desires to do for us. All the things that we see in society, it's to, to reintegrate us, to recondition us into thinking like the world thinks, of being like the world. And you know what? We, God has called us to be separate, hasn't he? To come out from among them and be separate, you know, to be in the world but not of the world, knowing our citizenship is in heaven. You know, we have to be careful to take care of our spiritual identity because the world wants to recondition us, that we might fit in with their agendas, that we might fit in with their way of life, with their um, way of thinking. You know, and it starts at a young age with our children in schools. And you know, I work in a school and I can tell you the things that they teach our children are scary and dangerous. It's worldly, human philosophy, not the things that we want our children to know about God. And so we need to be careful and we need to be, you know, some of our children have to go to public school and that's fine, but make sure you're taking the time to ensure they understand and know what is right and what God wants them to know and understand about our spiritual lives, about our spiritual citizenship. We read in verse 6 that Daniel and his friends were among those men who were brought to be reintegrated, to be reconditioned and reintegrated in Babylon. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their Hebrew names. And you know what? Their names are so beautiful. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means beloved of the Lord. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah means, the Lord is my help. I love that. You know, when these three guys were in the fire later on in the book of Daniel, I wonder if it was Azariah who was crying out to God for salvation. The Lord is my help. I have not forgotten my name. But they're renamed as part of this reconditioning. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego their new names as they started new lives in Babylon. In verse 8, it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel 
said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Amazing. As you read the Old Testament and the history of Israel, you begin to realize rather quickly that as a whole, Israel was a wayward child. Like sheep having gone astray, unfaithful and disobedient, repeatedly rebelling against the Lord and following after other gods. Go read the book of Judges. And for this very reason, Israel found themselves captives in Babylon. This was part of God's judgment on them for their waywardness, for their rebellion, for their really adultery, spiritual adultery to the Lord. And so the Lord gives them into the hands of pagans. And they find themselves captive in Babylon, having to serve other gods. For decades, the prophets had warned the rulers of Israel that the Lord would bring the armies of Babylon to destroy Jerusalem if they didn't turn from their wicked ways and repent. And you know, that's what we see happening Warren Wearsby, he said, God would rather have his people living in shameful captivity in a pagan land than living like pagans in the holy land and disgracing his name. Despite the unfaithfulness of Israel, you also notice that there was always a faithful few who remained true to the Lord. And even here we see a remnant who followed after the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and with all of their strength. In verse 8, we read that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. I like that. What an amazing insight into the heart of Daniel's character, that he would not defile himself with the things of the world. How many of us are tempted by the delicacies of this world? How many of those worldly things take and grab our attention that we just want to partake of? It's really easy to get drawn in by the things of the world. You know, this morning I had a guest speaker. I had a, someone in our church speaking. And it was speaking about waiting for the Lord patiently and not, not departing from him. And he gave the illustration of the Chronicles of Narnia. How many of you read the Chronicles of Narnia? You know, and oh, it's just fantastic. If you haven't read it, go read the Chronicles of Narnia. Just the first book itself is fantastic. It's not my favorite, but it's, it's fantastic. And you know what? One of the things that, that happens is, is they come into Narnia. And as they're introduced to this, this land, you know, they hear about Aslan, the king who is coming. And, you know, Mr. Beaver, he says, you know, the king is coming. He is on the move. Aslan is on the move. 
And you know what? In, in many of the children, in most of the children, and you know, they were excited. You know, they were excited about the news that Aslan was on the move, that the king was coming. Except one of them, Edward, wasn't so excited. It was more like a fearful judgment, a moment of doom. Why? Because he was enjoying the delicacies of that Turkish delight. He was too involved with the things of the world to enjoy the news of the king's coming. And we need to be careful. We need to be careful in keeping ourselves from enjoying the delicacies of this world. Now, God created this world for us to enjoy, no doubt about it. As a Christian, I have so much joy. How so much fun. You, generally, you'll see me smiling all the time, just enjoying life, enjoying the Lord, enjoying just this world that he's created for us. He built this world for us to enjoy, and there is great enjoyment in it. But we need to be careful that the things of this world that would draw us away from God aren't the things that we are finding our enjoyment or pleasures in. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Instead of going along with the crowd, he purposed he would not defile himself by eating the king's food. And this wasn't because he was a vegetarian or he was vegan, you know. Uh, it wasn't because he, he had a problem with eating meat. The issue was a spiritual issue. It was this spiritual motivation that drove him, drove him to purpose in his heart not to defile himself. Because you see the things and this food that was being offered to them, the king's food would have been sacrificed to idols, to the gods of Babylon. And that's what Daniel had an issue with. I'm not going to eat those things which were offered to other gods. I'm not going to partake of those things. And so he purposed to not defile himself, to keep himself pure, to keep himself in right relationship with the Lord. You know, that's one of the important reasons of why we pray and ask the Lord to bless our food before we eat. You know, we don't know where our food comes from today in this in the same sense we pray that god would bless it that you know these things these impurities these weird things that take place you know whether it's halal or you know things sacrificed to other gods that it would be cleansed that god would bless it to our bodies that's important that we pray that way but daniel would not defile himself with these things um, again, it was according to the, the law that was written in Leviticus that they were to, to abstain from such food. Now, it's interesting that of all the men brought to Babylon, only these four men separated themselves and remained devoted to the Lord. You know, and this would be no easy thing to do. As a prisoner, to go against the orders of the king who captured you, let alone be the only one, even amongst your own brethren, who are going along with it. You're like, well, gosh, I'm the only one. I kind of stand out here like a bit of peer pressure, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes it requires us to make that stand. Even if other Christians around us are giving into it, we have to do right by our own conscience before the Lord. We are all answerable to that. And Daniel and his four friends had the courage and the boldness to stand up 
even amongst their own peers, in wanting to keep themselves from defiling themselves with the king's food. Not an easy stand to make, and yet they did. And you can't help but respect and admire the determination and the conviction that these men had in the face of adversity. Truly, as we're told in Romans 12, 2, these men were not conformed to the world, but they were transformed by the renewing of their minds, proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. They knew God's law. They knew God's heart. They knew God's purpose, and they lived it out. Even and despite the consequences that they could face for refusing to eat of the king's food. You see, these men were given wholly to the Lord. Their hearts belonged to the Lord, and as such, they could purpose such things. You see, only a heart completely surrendered to God is able to make such declarations and has the determination to stand for what is right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. If you want to stand boldly for the Lord, if you want to stand and, and purpose and be determined to live rightly, God's got to have your heart. You can't have a divided heart. And you know what? Daniel had a heart that was devoted to God. These men had hearts that were devoted to God. And they had the faith to trust him even in the midst of the situation. And again, it could have turned out a bad situation. King could have said, you're refusing my food? Fine, die. I'll find other servants. It could have been that way. It could be a matter of life and death to refuse the king. But they had the faith to trust the Lord in the midst of the situation, even with standing for what was right and purposing in their hearts not to defile him. Someone once said, faith is not believing in spite of evidence. That's superstition. But obeying in spite of consequence. I like that. That's deep. To obey in spite of consequence. That's the faith that God wants us to have that trust and believe in him, even if, even if our stand is going to cause, you know, reaction, negative reaction, do we trust God that he will work it out? Isaiah 12, 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Those who put their trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
They had faith to believe that God would honor them. And you know what? God did honor them. He honored their stand. And you know what? He, he made it work out so that they would not have to defile themselves. We read that Daniel requested that they not be defiled. And initially, the answer was no. You know, the, 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 the servant over them, the master over them said, no, you know, it's my head on the line if, it, if this doesn't work out. Like, I'm not going to risk my life just because you don't want to eat the king's delicacies, you know, just because you want vegetables and water. And, and, and he said in verse 10, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. But Daniel didn't give up. He had the faith to believe that he was doing the right thing. And so he asked the steward who was set over them uh, by the chief of the eunuchs. And, and with such humble and wise words, he asked that they be tested for 10 days on vegetables and water, trusting God to honor them in their determination to live righteously. Look, try us for 10 days. Give it 10 days and then compare us. If we're flourishing and we're healthy and vibrant, well and good. If we're not, fine, we'll eat the king's delicacies. But you know what? He left it in God's hands. And he said, look, test us. Just let's see for 10 days if it's going to work out. And you know what? He was convinced. This man, this steward over them was convinced. And he consented to it. And after the trial period, we read in verse 15 that their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Again, God honored their stand. God honored their faith. Because they wanted to serve God and do what was right by him, God honored them. God met them. God made sure that they looked better than everybody else so that he would, could reward their desire to live righteously. I love that about the Lord. Trust him. And you know what? He will bring these things to pass. He will bless you in return as you try and live rightly before him. In verse 16, we read, Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Not only did God bless them physically, he blessed them mentally, he blessed them spiritually. They were given wisdom and understanding. They were able to, to understand the, the the Chaldean literature, better than everybody else. God blessed them in every way. And I love that. As a reward for their faithful, faithfulness, the Lord was gracious towards them and blessed them and caused them to excel in the responsibilities that were set before them. And again, remember, they were in Babylon. They were being trained to serve the king, to be, uh, to be advisors to him. And you know what? By honoring the Lord, the Lord honored them and gave them places of honor in which they excelled in all of their responsibilities. And in this, we see a biblical principle demonstrated for us. In Matthew 6.33, what does Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? And all these things shall be added unto you. 
all the things that concern our lives, God will deal with as we set him first, as we give priority to him, as we seek God and his righteousness, all the other things that concern our lives, you know, our finances, our rent, our work, you know, all of those things, food on the table, God will provide every need. And you know what? If we honor him, he will even cause us to excel in those things. We need to realize, however, that when we make our stand for Christ, when we separate ourselves from the delicacies of this world, it will cost us. There will be consequences to living righteously, to honoring God. Are you prepared for that cost? That's the other question. As Christians, are we prepared to pay the cost of following Christ? Charles Spurgeon said, be ready for a bad name. Be willing to be called a bigot. Be prepared for the loss of friendships. Be prepared for anything so long as you can stand fast by him who bought you with his precious blood. You know, you think we're unique in this world in which we can't speak openly about God without repercussions? Well, you know what? Some hundred years ago, Spurgeon was facing the same thing for living for Christ, for speaking the truth called bad names, called bigots, lost, losing friends. When we stand for Christ, these things will take place. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 4 says, They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, and they speak evil of you. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 14 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. We're not to think it strange when we go through difficult times or when we face persecution because of our stand for Christ. We should expect it. And you know, when we expect it, it's not going to feel as hard or as daunting <laughs> as it usually does. We should expect the world to hate us. It hated Jesus. Guess what? It's going to hate his followers. They're going to hate you and I. But we should not allow that fear to keep us from following Jesus. Verse 18, it says, Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then king, the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were on all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Man, and that's the crowning testimony of Daniel. That Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. A period of 70 years in which he served before the king himself because of his desire and his purpose to honor God. A period of 70 years. For 70 years he thus continued 
serving before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding, he was found to be ten times better than all the magicians and all the astrologers who were in all his realm. Daniel was chief of all before the king. He was the chief of every... He, he, he had more understanding and more, more wisdom than anyone in the kingdom. He stood before the king himself and served the king. And that was because God honored him because Daniel honored God. He's such a shining example of living a victorious Christian life. Again, a victorious life that lasted for 70 plus years. A victorious life that was lived in the midst of a place that was not his home. In a world that is so fickle and so changeable, how can anyone hope to have a testimony of such faithful continuance as Daniel? We look around at the world today and it's a mess. You know, we don't even know what our government's going to do with the, the laws. You know, daily it seems like they change. You know, oh, masks this week, masks not anymore. Oh, uh, social distancing, oh, wait, no, not anymore. It's like trying to keep track of what's actually happening in the world and in our own, you know, country. It's like, what is going on? Like, things change so quickly. Even spiritually, things are changing so quickly. Ten years ago, when I first moved over here, you know, it was still, a, you know, a positive thing to be a Christian. I'll tell you what. You go out and you talk to people about being a Christian, and it's not a positive thing anymore. It's not a positive thing to be a Christian. Where once Christians were, were good, moral people, that's not the case. They, Christians are being sidelined. The spiritual sense of the nation is slowly, slowly dying and crumbling. It's not a good thing to be a Christian in the eyes of the world anymore. How can anyone hope to have a testimony of such faithful continuance as Daniel had when we live in a world that so rejects Christ and rejects us? How was Daniel able to endure with such a testimony for 70 years in a country and in a place that was very similar to our own current society? which rejected the Lord God Almighty. F.B. Meyer gives us the key to this longevity in living victoriously. He says, To all deep lives there comes moments of serious questioning. Shall I be able to hold out? Shall I always be able to withstand the virulent hate of my foes and overcome the corruption of my heart? Will it be always possible to meet the strong and imperious demands of duty and the appeal of those who look to me for help? Amid the changes that the years may bring, will it be possible to maintain my ground? Men are so capricious, events so fluctuating, the sea of human life so unstable. To all such suggestions, there is but one reply. Prayer is the secret of continuance. Prayer is the secret to our longevity in living victoriously in this world. Prayer. In the following chapters of this book, and as you read about Daniel's life, which we're not going to this morning, this afternoon, <laughs> tricking me again. 
in the following chapters of this book, as you read Daniel's life, you find that this was true for Daniel. Daniel's go-to was prayer. If there's one thing that could be said about Daniel, Daniel was a man of prayer. He purposed in his heart, yes, but he purposed in his heart because he was a man who was in constant communion with God. The secret of his longevity was a life devoted to God, a life faithfully set apart, and a life dependent upon prayer. In Daniel 6.10, we find that from early days, it was his habit to kneel down and pray towards Jerusalem three times a day. How many of you pray, sit down with the Lord and pray three times a day? I do, but it's mostly at meal times, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's, I don't know if those count. <laughs> In Daniel 2, 17 through 23, we read that Daniel went to pray with his friends, asking the Lord to reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his interpretation of it to them, as well as his beautiful prayer of thanksgiving and praise when the Lord does reveal it. In Daniel chapter 9, we find that most of the chapter is of Daniel praying as he intercedes, makes supplication, and confesses his sins and the sins of his people. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, we see Daniel fasting and mourning for three weeks. I have a hard time fasting for three hours, let alone three weeks. But this is the reality of a life that lives for God. A life that is able to withstand the onslaught of the world for 70 years. It's a man who's dedicated and devoted to prayer. Prayer is the secret of continuance. You want to live successfully in this Christian life, in this life as a Christian, you need to learn how to pray. You need to be dedicated to prayer. Something that's lacking in my own heart. This message is just for me, just as much for me as it is for any of you. I need to be a man of prayer. I need to give myself more and more to prayer. And so as we wrap things up, we're reminded that first of all, we're sojourners and pilgrims in this world. This place is not our home. You know, we want to keep ourselves from the entanglements of this world and of the flesh. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. This world is not our home, for we are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Like Daniel, as such, we need to keep our hearts with all diligence. We need to be diligent to keep our hearts from gravitating or wanting or desiring the delicacies of this world the pleasures of this world. We need to keep our hearts with all diligence. We need to purpose in our hearts to honor God in every circumstance, in every situation, in all things, living for God and God alone. For only hearts completely surrendered to God are able to purpose and have that determination to stand for what is right. Only those whose lives are devoted to God and surrendered to him, are able to live a victorious Christian life. David Guzik said, Daniel and his friends show us that, inter, that inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure, and that God-honoring convictions yield God-given rewards. I like that. Inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure. It doesn't matter how much pressure that comes from the outside, when you have that inner conviction that God is right, 
then we can, we can overcome. And those God-honoring convictions will yield God-given rewards. The secret to the longevity of living victoriously is prayer. It's being in right relationship with God. It's an ensuring that we're in constant fellowship with the Lord. That's what prayer is all about. It's talking. It's communicating. It's having that relationship, a strong relationship with the Lord. And that's done and established. It's made through prayer. You talk to any married couple here, our marriages break down when we're not in communication with one another. It's when we're communicating to one another, when we know what's going on in each other's lives, when we're on the same page that we're able to live successfully with, in, in, in dealing with our children and dealing with just the things that happen in our lives. Communication is so necessary and important. And you know it's no different in our relationship with God. Prayer is the way that we maintain and establish that good relationship with the Lord. We must cultivate that life of prayer. It does not just, just happen, right? It only comes through persistent practice. I like what Alexander White said regarding this. He said, Daniel became a great proficient in prayer. And he came to that great proficiency just as a any great proficiency has come to in any other science or art. That is to say, by constant and unremitting and enterprising practice. Lord, teach us to pray, said a disciple on one occasion to our Lord. But not even our Lord, with all his willingness and with all his ability, can teach any of us offhand to pray. Every man must teach himself every day he lives. This most personal, most secret, and most experimental of all the arts Every man must find out the best ways of prayer for himself. There's no royal road. There is no short or easy road to proficiency in prayer. It is like all the other arts that you have ever mastered. It must be early begun and assiduously practiced, else you will be but a bungler at it all of your days. I like that. It takes practice. You want to be good at prayer? You got to practice. You've got to devote your time and your energy to doing it. And you know what? I can so just relate to what he says there, that every man must teach himself. You know, it's different for each of us. We all have different distractions. We all have different situations. You know what works best for you. I know what works best for me. And you know what? I can't lie in my bed when I pray. I can't have distractions around me when I pray. Oftentimes, I have to speak out loud and hear myself because if I pray in my mind, suddenly other thoughts come in and override my, my thoughts to pray. Isn't it funny how you sit down to pray and you start praying and then suddenly every, like every list, task list that you've ever made in your life suddenly comes to the forefront of your mind and like suddenly, oh, I've got to do that and that and that. Oh, uh, i got to do these things. And oh yeah, work was telling me about this. And then you're like, Two seconds later, you're like, wait, what am I thinking about? Like, I was just praying a second ago, and so easily I switch. It's, it's like the house is nice and quiet and peaceful. You sit down, you start to pray, and suddenly the dog starts barking, and the children start screaming, and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> like, it was perfect, like, literally three seconds ago. Everyone was happy. Everyone was quiet. 
you know what works best for you. And you know what you need to train and find out what works best for you. It's prayer is individual. It's personal. And it's intimate between you and your God. And we need to take the time to learn how to pray properly. There's some people that are naturally just prayers. Is there any natural prayers here that just easy for you to just sit down and pray? You could pray all the time? Okay, you're like me then. There are some people that I know that just prayer is like breathing for them. I wish I had that. For me, it's a struggle. And we need to learn how to pray. Someone said this, and we'll close with this. You know how popular the pastor is by those who show up Sunday morning. You know how popular the worship band is by those who turn up on Sunday nights. And you know how popular God is by those who turn up to prayer meeting. And I find that to be true, oddly true. Let us be people of prayer. Let us want to follow the example of Daniel in being people who are dedicated to the Lord, dedicated to prayer. His dedication was the Lord didn't just happen. It's because he was man who was practiced in having that right relationship with God through prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and the things that you've spoken to each of us this afternoon, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that these things might not necessarily be the same, Lord, but we have you spoken to us, and, and Lord, we know how to move forward, how we are to act, how we are to be as your people, Lord. You've given us a, an example which we are to follow, a standard which has been set, Lord. And Lord, we want to follow that example of Daniel, who was a man after your own heart, a man who purposed in his heart to love you for all of his days, to keep his heart with all diligence, to to live rightly before you, Lord, even to the expense and the cost of his very own life. He made that stand for you, Lord, and you blessed him and honored him in that. And Lord, we find out and we know and understand that the secret to his success in living his life as a devoted follower to you was because of his relationship with you. He was a man who dedicated himself to prayer, who set his mind towards you and your presence three times a day, Lord. And those prayers, those cost him dearly. It was for the sake of praying to you that he was thrown into the den of lions. But Lord, even you saved him from that because, Lord, you keep your righteous ones. You uphold your righteous ones. You're faithful to those who honor you. And so, Lord, help us to be those people. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. In your precious name. Amen. Amen.